What up, everyone? This is David Marver of Change the Padres joining you again this weekend for another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. This time, I'm actually going to be breaking down Kevin Acey's interview on the Darren Smith Show. It just happened this morning um, or this afternoon, depending on where you are. Uh, Kevin Acey came on to discuss his article that he released yesterday. He also did release an article this morning, which was more opinion piece. I'm not really going to touch on that. I want to focus more on the things that are coming from ownership and most of the arguments that Kevin AC is making, and the reason being is that I believe we should firmly control this conversation. We have the much more salient, logical perspectives on a lot of these things. There are a lot of things that don't add up. There is contradictory evidence. There are many, you know, numerous fallacies that are continuing to be spewed, and I'm not blaming Kevin AC on this point, and I think it's important, however much you might believe that Kevin AC is shilling, and... I I find it hard to believe that his personal relationship with Ron Fowler isn't at least clouding his judgment a little bit to the same degree that our opt- or pessimism long term may be clouding ours and that's a totally fair statement but I don't think I want to completely shoot the messenger I want to shoot the message right and the reason being is that I still appreciate the fact that we have this info um, again I still don't know what the Padres were really trying to achieve with this. Uh, But the fact that we have this information I think is at least enlightening uh, because it does give gravitas to some of our arguments that we've made over time. And so that's that's what I'm trying to accomplish today. Uh, I'm going to play the entire interview with Darren Smith. Uh, Apologies, 1090, if that's infringing on some copyright thing. I I really apologize for that, but I hope this is an open license here to do so. Basically, like I said, I want to con- continue to control the message. I think there are some things here that AC says that do not add up with the evidence that has been placed in front of us, and I want to continue to drive all these points home so that there is no wiggle room and that the screws continue to be turned because they should be turned. Uh, yeah, so with no further ado, let's start the audio. I'm going to do the same thing I did on the the article that I read the other day. I'm just going to play the audio, pause it, and then respond and continue to do that throughout the entire 37-minute interview that they have. So, uh, hold on, guys. Hey, Kevin, Darren, good to speak with you. Good to speak with you in January, Darren. Always, always our pleasure. Um, wanna, for those that might not have seen it, I, I, I give you a lot of credit. I think that this is a very important read for Padres fans. I think it's it's been an interesting thing for people who work in the organization to see in black and white, but how did this story come about where you were granted access to the Padres ledgers? Uh, fairly early on when I took uh, over the beat last year, I, I asked Ron Fowler if uh, we could do something like this. Certainly my, my level of optimism wasn't very high because it's not something that professional teams do, but Ron said that that would be, um, that would be fine. And uh, some logistical issues, some on my end, some on his, some on Major League Baseball. It got delayed a little bit. I actually thought it was nice. Got to wrap up 2018 and then uh, met in, in early January with he and the CFO, Ron DeCidio. Uh, and I met with Rhonda again uh, just because I did not get anywhere near an economics degree. As a matter of fact, my wife does uh, the, the, the bills here. I call her the CFO of the AC family. So, I, I, you know, I had a lot of questions. Uh, and then I talked to a lot of other people to be able to understand what I was seeing. Uh, um, I, I I mean, I trust Ron Fowler, uh, but, but, you know, books can say anything, right? Um, I previously didn't know Rhonda, uh, and so, you know, again, t- t- no reason to not trust her, but again, I think we all know, uh, we've seen plenty of times uh, in our lifetimes 
where books can be made to say anything. Um, but but I was shown uh, a lot of numbers, and um, so the story was uh, what I wanted it to be as much as I could, working within the parameters of Major League Baseball, which, again, MLB, NFL, NBA, there aren't a whole lot of teams, and it's only teams that are, are public uh, to some extent uh, where we've actually seen real numbers before. Uh, I'm fairly certain that with a, a team like the Padres, that this level of access was uh, pretty close to unprecedented, and um, so I did the best I could uh, sharing, and I think it actually did a pretty good job uh, sharing uh, what the Padres uh, rationale was and what and, and ha- trying to back that up with uh, with some hard numbers as to okay um, this is what they say and this is the reality of their numbers here's the story and, and so I appreciate you saying that it was an important piece for Padres uh, fans to read because that's all I'm really trying to do is tell the story of, this, uh, of the team and I feel this is a part of it. Okay, so I think this is uh, you know fairly new info because during the article or when you're reading the article, you don't really have a good sense for how this meeting went down. There's only a little bit of information shared. So it seems like we do have a little bit more information on this. It sounds like this is something Kevin AC requested uh, when he got his, the beat early on, which I believe was what beginning of last season. Um, sounds like there were some legal hurdles they had to go through in order to release some of these numbers because of agreements with major league baseball and minority owners within the Padres ownership group and, and so on. So, that's a little bit of background. Um, it is interesting to note that it sounds like it was just him in attendance, right? So there wasn't, it wasn't like there were multiple members of the Union Tribune who went. The Union or the San Diego Padres, uh, sounding like Ronda Cedillo and Ron Fowler, took aside just Kevin Acey and presented him with what it sounds like some numbers, right? It's not. It doesn't seem like it's the full book. Again, there's still no open book. I want to continue to emphasize that. Uh, so yeah, so there's a little bit of new background info there. It, it, again, there, there wasn't like a qualified accountant who came with Kevin AC, not that they would necessarily find anything, but at least that would be, you know, a much better person to ingest this info. But at the same time, I still understand why you would accept, um, you know, if I was in Kevin AC's shoes and I was a beat writer for the Potters and they offered me this opportunity, of course I would take it. You know, how I would present the information to the readers would probably have been a little bit different, but I don't fault him for taking this. So, uh, but at least we have a little bit more background. Let's uh, continue the conversation. I don't uh, have a lot of questions about your reporting, Kevin. I I just know, putting myself in your position, if I were granted this kind of access, I'm pretty sure I would have absolutely no clue what it was that I was looking at or what it was that I should even be requesting or what it was that was being withheld or what it was that was being shown. And, and I mean, how difficult is that? I mean, Mm -hmm. how how do you know that what you printed isn't just what they wanted to show you? Because you even used the word facets. There are facets of their finances that they shared. They couldn't share everything. I mean, how, how did you know what to ask for? And how do you know that what you were shown here isn't just some incomplete summary designed to, to have you write a story a certain way? Totally fair question. And, and I'm, as certain as, I'm as certain as I can be, again, without that economics degree. And I also believe in, uh, um, that they could have shown somebody with an economics degree, with, with an with a MBA, uh, they could have shown their books, and that person could have only been shown uh, incomplete. So that validates your, your point there. How, how could I know? Um, I, I asked a lot of questions. Every question I asked got a quick answer. Uh, again, been doing this a long time, and I, and I felt that the information I was getting was correct based on the volume of information I was getting. And I, and I 
again, I don't care what people think. I trust Ron Fowler. And so you put that together with the volume of information and then all the numbers I was given added up. And it's like, these people just spend hours and hours making up numbers for me to give to the public. I, I, I really don't think so. Then also, you know, had they taken me very much deeper, we would have got into some like um, gap financials. We would have gotten into things that I, I seriously wouldn't have understood. And I would have been able to tell you, Hey, I saw some fancy numbers. Um, but I, it is very complicated, but the numbers they told me are numbers that are going to be seen by Everybody who knows what their real numbers are um, in Major League Baseball. I mean, the Padres are audited every year by a, a firm. Every team does this, a firm they hire, you know, a big accounting firm. Um, and then they're audited every year. MLB auditors visit every team and they audit their books. And if, if the Padres are lying to me, it's, it's going to come out. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of the best roundabout answer I can give you. Did, I did not spend like I'm assuming the MLB auditors do, a week inside the Padres' um, offices with, um, you know, uh, financials and, and, a, and a team of people and, and be able to say, uh, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, here's, here's the Padres' numbers. What I assume, Ron didn't say this, he assumed I was fairly dumb. So, um, you know, they, they showed me both, um, you know, what the gap financials would be, as in, you know, the, the numbers that basically I, I just called out only auditors would understand. And then they showed me your cash in, cash out basis. Um, when those numbers lined up, when the questions I asked about those numbers, when the questions my boss asked about those numbers, I think everybody knows my boss, anybody on, who follows on Twitter or knows him, knows there's a fair amount of cynicism that Jay Posen, the sports editor of the Union Tribune, has about the Padres and their ownership and their plan. He had a lot of questions. There were six or seven versions of this story. Um, at one point, Jay said, I can't remember which version I read this in. Um, so when it all lined up, we felt comfortable going with the story. Okay, so a decent amount to unpack here. Let's let's take it one by one. I'm curious why Kevin AC trusts Ron Fowler. Like, I, I don't know where that stems from, and I'd be curious to know exactly where that comes from, if there's actual concrete evidence uh, for that or if it's just an intuitive sense. Like, I, I don't necessarily understand that because, um, of course, from our perspective, we don't have – you know, we don't know the background as to why that is so, and so we can't just take, you know, we can't take Kevin Acey's intuition as our word without understanding exactly why or where that comes from. So, but on the point that, um, you know, if the Potters are making up numbers, that would get uncovered, and, you know, at some point in time that would come to light, right, and then it would make them look even worse, and the fact that they're getting audited every year and, you know, all of that stuff, I mean, that's true, but... There are so many different accounting methods, and not just accounting methods, but tricks that baseball teams do. I don't know if you guys remember, but when the Marlins and Pirates finances leaked to Deadspin back in like 2011 maybe or 2010, uh, there was an outcry because the Marlins had, and this is apparently commonplace, large payments to consulting groups and LLCs that turned out to be the ownership themselves, right? So they were essentially paying themselves to be owners uh, by calling it consultant. And so, you know, without actually digging into every, you know, outflow of money on the Padres and understanding exactly where that truly is going and what for, it's just so hard to understand. So the numbers could be correct and it could be audited, um, you know, and up to gap standards. And by the way, if you're not <clears throat> in, in accounting at all, and I'm not either, but I do a little bit on this, uh, gap is, it's actually G-A-A-P, not G-A-P. And it stands for just, um, 
generally accepted accounting principles, I believe. It's just like a way that companies are supposed to do their accounting such that they're following, you know, uh, consistent guidelines across the board year over year and, you know, just adhering to other – it's just like a set of principles they're supposed to follow when they do accounting. It's not like it's – self audit you know there's there's it's just a, a way of doing accounting there's nothing special really about it um it, it is kind of funny to hear ac talk about the accounting stuff um hg preller po- slash padres jagoff on twitter said it reminded him of vincent adult man from bojack horseman talking about business i don't know if you guys have seen bojack horseman but if not <clears throat> uh i think <laughs> the 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 comment by hj preller is, is pretty funny um the last piece here on this section is that Kevin Acey refers to Jay Posner as a cynic. I don't think anyone uh, will agree with that. Certainly he has different opinions. Um, but for the most part, I consider Posner to be on the homerish side of the spectrum, um, certainly on Twitter in terms of where he sits uh, with Padres' ownership. So uh, I don't really necessarily buy any of that. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get back to the audio. Kevin Acey, the Union Tribune, joining us on the Mighty 1090. The second part of that, Kevin, would be why are they doing this? And and this is not going to uh, uh, come as some sort of ambush here. But sure. by now you've seen the criticism of the piece, whether it's been locally or whether it's been from national baseball reporter types, that this is PR. You, you've already <laughs> re- underscored that you, know, you have an affinity for Ron Fowler. You just said it on the air. You've said it many times in mm-hmm. the past, and you don't hide from that. Mm-hmm. But but was this public relations on behalf of the organization using your work in the Union Tribune to, to bring this up and put this public? If it was, then it was at my behest because I'm the one who asked about it and kept asking about it. Um, I can tell you there's parts in there they weren't would, wish were not in there. Um, I'm not saying it was a, you know an inflammatory or a highly critical piece. It was not meant to be critical or to praise them. Um, uh, so I'm not sure how you see that it was PR unless you unless you want to see it that way. Okay, just to jump in here, like I, I don't think any of us want this to be interpreted as a PR piece. Like, we, we, I don't see why any of us would want that to be the case. Like, right, we're all fans of the Padres baseball team. It's not like we're, you know, I, I get asked all the time, like, are you happy when the Padres lose because you it proves that you're correct in some sort of way? It's like, no, like I, I strongly wish that I was wrong and that they were good. Like, I wouldn't waste my valuable time doing something like this if if they were good, right? Like, I just would. I would just shut up and, and watch quality baseball, which is all I've ever wanted. Um, so, you know, to insinuate that means that it, he's prescribing other, you know, um, other reasons and incentives and, and things that are driving people outside who are reading his piece to believe otherwise. But that's not the case. It's We, we say this because, um, you know, th- there's a presentation of information from the Padres here, which was hastily uh, – contextual in, in the sense that we didn't have too much background as to why this was happening or how. AC illuminated a little bit on that earlier, but you know, when he's interspersing that information with opinions of his own and in the line by line rebuttal I did the other day, you know, I went through some of these where he's you know, there's you know, there are semantic issues with open books or calling it oppressive interest rates, right? There's there's a little bit of editorial there that he's adding into the article which is all pretty much slanted in one direction. It wasn't 100% slanted in one direction, but it was certainly more than average. And then when you have that person openly saying that, you know, he implicitly trusts Ron Fowler and so on and so forth, I think it is very fair to question 
whether it is an actual PR piece. And, you know, it's not the first time we've been accused, and I say we broadly, Pottery's Twitter, have been accused of, you know, calling things PR and getting called out for that and saying, oh, it's only because you wanted to see that way. It's like, no, there's a, there's a long history of this. I mean, just look at Bill Center, for example. He wrote for the Union Tribune for years and years, decades upon decades, since, you know, pretty much going back to when I was born as a human, he wrote for them. And over the years, his writing got considerably more favorable to ownership to the point that we were saying this about him. And he was coming back with the same line of reasoning. And lo and behold, he's now on the Padres payroll as a beat writer on their Padres.com blog, you know, writing blogs. So there, it's not like there isn't, you know, some evidence and, and some experience that we have in this uh, area to say things like this reads like a PR piece because, you know, it's a blind presentation of facts with the exception of some opinions which all tend to slant in one direction and verbiage which tends to slant in one direction. So I don't think this is fair. And again, going back to, you know, why would we even – why? What what would we have to gain by saying it's a PR piece and like rooting for it to be a PR piece versus rooting for it, I don't know, for good baseball, right? I mean that's that's what we're in this for. We're not in this to prove an argument or anything like that. So those lines of reasoning, you know, it's it's something that I just I just don't buy. So I had to interrupt this, but let's let's let AC continue here. Unless you want to be cynical and, and cynicism is fine, but there's a point where you have to go look, I don't agree with this, but, like, this is what it is. Like, and, and I, I don't know. I, I guess people, some people have a hard time with that. But again, it's not like there's not any evidence for the cynicism, right? Like, if you look at the history of Padres baseball, I mean, just at a macro level, they are the losingest franchise in baseball history, right? They have the worst winning percentage. They've gone to two World Series total and won one game in the World Series over the course of their 50-year history. It's not like... It's not like there's not broad reason to be cynical, and not just that, but if you just look at, you know, spending levels, if you look at the number of empty promises that have made, I don't think looking at things from a prism of potential cynicism, and I still don't think we do that, I think we just rationally look at the pros and cons and tend to focus on the cons because they're more plentiful. Like, I think that's what what's happening here. I don't think it's unfair that we're focusing on this. I think it's a, a logical continuation of history that... Because you've been so bad in so many, so many of these areas, we tend to talk about the bad more than the good because you've been bad, right? I mean, if, if they were good at a lot of areas of baseball, whether it was social media or, you know, on the field or various aspects of the front office or whatever, I think we wouldn't be focusing on so many of these other, other things. But the bare facts are that so many of these things tilt closer to bad than good that that's what we that's what we talk about because that's all we have to talk about doesn't mean we're cynical about it it just means that unfortunately things are bad and so we have to talk about the bad right and so i don't necessarily agree with that at all the point that this is what it is yeah i agree and that's why i'm trying not to shoot the messenger here but shoot the message right it, it's a bummer this is what it is they shouldn't have purchased the team i'm not faulting ac for bringing this information to us i appreciate it i applaud it i hope more journalists in san diego do that and that's why i don't want to completely shoot AC down here, just the message that he's bringing, right? So, um, yeah, it is what it is, and, you know, that gives us evidence and and reason to say sell the team. Like, Ron Fowler, you should not be in control of the baseball team. You should sell your portion of the team and let someone else with more lucrative economic backing come in and provide baseball to the fans you say you care about at a higher level than you can. I think that's, that's overall what we're saying, given the new information that we now have. 
but just to jump back real quick to the cynical part again, like ha- have we been wrong? Like, was there a reason for like if you went back five years and you were optimistic, were you correct? Like, no, you weren't correct. So like the people who have been cynical in 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 Kevin Acey's frame of reference, right? Not necessarily in the be all end all, uh, you know, uh, scale of things. Just from his frame of reference, those who have been more cynical than him have been more accurate than him, right? And so. There is a level of, of this here where if you're not looking at things through a prism of, well, they're bad at pretty much everything, which is the truth, then I think you're going to end up making less accurate conclusions in the future. So there's there's a lot of ways to shoot down what's, what's being stated here, um, the, the message that's being stated here that, you know, we're looking we're, – we're like trying to pounce on these areas of, of PR and, and cynicism, but it's just like so far from the truth. We just want good baseball and unfortunately – there are a lot of excuses being made for why that's not the case, but let's let's uh, let's continue here. Well, I um, mean, I, I think that though that 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 where that comes from is that it's it's viewed again, and and you know it's it's viewed as as a, you know a flimsy explanation as to why the organization isn't spending money this offseason. How about that? Sure, sure. And I want to make sure that we go. Believe me, do you know what the first thing Jay said to me was? What you just said to me. The first thing that Jay Posner said to me is. Are you being used? And that is a completely, I took no offense to it whatsoever. Um, partially because, I mean, this is the job I do. I, I mean, I need to be edited. I need to be asked the relationship that Jay and I have. And that's the kind of question I want to be asked. If he hadn't asked it, I would have thought he was ill. As a matter of fact, I think he was ill last week, but he still asked it. Um, and, and, and so no problem with that, with that whatsoever. I want to make clear that the story kind of also went deeper and explained some of the other things. I mean, they, they have spent money. Um, we could disagree on how they spent it, um, but they, they have spent money. Yeah, so let's annihilate this one at the start here before he continues onwards. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously they've spent more than zero dollars. They have spent money. That's not a false statement, but we're talking about comparatives here, right? So uh, if you look at the amount they've spent you know, in the international free agent market, on rookie draft classes, on the actual active payroll, whether that's real money on their 25-man or dead money to the Oliveras and Matt Kemp contracts of the world, and you just you know sum that up and you compare it to other teams in baseball, no, they have not comparatively spent money. And however, in, in honestly, whatever time frame you want to look at, one year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years, they have not spent money. So like the term spent money, yeah, obviously they spent more than $0, but it's a comparative thing. And uh, sure, in 2015, maybe their payroll was 21st in the league, but that's still not that middle third that we've been told they want to get to. It's still nowhere close to league average, and we're not saying it even needs to get to league average, just close to it, right? I mean, right now, the active 25-man roster is $55 million. $55 million. That's nothing in the 2019 landscape of baseball. It's really honestly not very much in the 2007 landscape of Major League Baseball. Now, obviously, there's some dead money there, but it still adds up to, you know, less than $90 million. And so you look across baseball, you look at some comparative teams and markets, and you figure what have those teams spent and what, you know, what did they spend in 2012 and 2013 and 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and now 19. And the Potters have not been anywhere close to those figures, you know, even, you know, the figures of the Milwaukee Brewers and teams like that that may even have slightly smaller markets than the Padres, they're not even approaching that level. To just say, so to say they have spent money is kind of a blanket. You know, I, I disagree, right? Even in his article, he had them ranked 26th in payroll since they've taken control of the team. Overall, it was 
you know, 28th once you get rid of players they've traded midseason and so on and so forth. But in any case, like, to claim that that's spending money uh, is just, like, not true, right? So even the the experiment in 2015 where it was 21st in baseball, it's still not really spending money comparatively, right? That's closer to spending money. I agree with you on that. They've had different degrees of getting close to spending money, but they haven't actually spent money. So uh, I'm going to always interject when I hear that because that's just false. Um, the story didn't speak to the fact that, gosh, if A.J. Prowler had thought they were closer, I mean, A.J. is the one who thinks they're still in a develop, developmental phase right now and did last year. Who knows what Ron Fowler and Peter Seidler would have done um, had A.J. said, hey, all we are is a Jake Arrieta away from, um, you know, from contending last year. Would they have signed Jake Arrieta? I, I happen to think that, that they probably would have begun or I have to say, based on what they've said, they would, which speaks then to my analysis now. Well, hey, now not only are they saying it, they've kind of showed us the numbers and said, hey, we put ourselves in position to spend. So that's all I can base going forward on is, is they, they, they would spend. So I just want to make sure that we're, we're clear that the, 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 the story wasn't that narrow of like, hey, here's an excuse or explanation of why they haven't spent. It also explained like, hey, here's some other things they've done and some of them have been good and some of them have been bad. And not to disagree with too much on that point, but uh, I do want to emphasize that I do think one of the most interesting parts of the article were the lines about A.J. Preller because I do think, you know, n- none of us really can understand the, the point of the article. Like I, I feel like no one truly from from myself to most of Padres Twitter, uh, maybe even Kevin Acey doesn't even know why. Uh, you know, and Darren Smith, I think, throughout this interview uh, hits home that it doesn't really make too much sense either. Um, you know, the purpose of why they brought this information to us. But I think the fact they've thrown A.J. Preller's name in here and used him as part of their excuse, be it through the 2015 lesson they say they learned, uh, and now here saying that they would have spent if A.J. had brought us players that they thought brought us over the hump. You know, it's kind of pointing the finger like we're not spending because he's not, you know, he's telling us not to spend. You know, it's it's at least novel info that there is a little bit of turmoil and potential uh, shaky ground that A.J. Preller is acting on. Um, it's – I have made the game theory uh, argument before that as soon as you reach a point where someone might be on thin ice for their job security, it changes their incentives to maximize their job security such that they'll make moves which are suboptimal for the team, right? So now A.J. Preller might feel some more additional pressure to accelerate the time frame or to spend. It might make him make moves that he otherwise would not, and that will lead to lackluster results. All all this to be said is that I think if they feel this way about A.J. Preller now, rather than putting the pressure publicly on him, they should have just fired him, right? Because now they've publicly shifted the way that AJ may act, or they've they've shifted the way that AJ may act by publicly stating that there's you know they have some issues with the way that he, he's run the team so far. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, continuing on. Right, as you could say about any organization. But what sure. was this? I mean, what what are the Padres getting out of this? You know, they they're they're doing this for a reason. They're not doing this just because you know they're reciprocating warm feelings back at you. You know, <laughs> they're doing this for some reason. They're trying True. to reach some target audience with this. True. So so why are they doing this? Why are they putting this out here publicly like they're, this? What are they hoping to accomplish? They're fans. They're, they're fans. I, I I mean, for whatever anybody thinks, and I, I guess I'd I'd like to know. I think a lot. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but. 
they're fairly transparent. I mean, the reason that the owners, the people know what, you know, Ron Fowler's penchant for saying stuff is and, and things that they like and don't like is because he says stuff, right? So, you know, unlike, you know, well, let me check the radio stations and the newspapers of a lot of other cities and see how many owners talk as much as Ron Fowler um, and, and say what he feels. Um, so I think there's an element of transparency. I agree with this. There, there is a level of transparency here, but I, I do think that Ron Fowler talking isn't necessarily a good thing, right? I think there has been numerous occasions where he's opened his mouth and basically inserted his foot, uh, be it talking about the James Shields performance early on, which basically forced his trade. Now, granted, that <laughs> miraculously worked out extremely well for us, but I don't think that's a bankable skill that we can hope for going forward. Um, or whether it's you know his appearances on the Dan Cilio show and some other areas where he's you know otherwise said or stated things which have not been beneficial to the organization that you know have possibly caused more harm than good and and here again is another example where he's now publicly stated potentially disdain for AJ Preller's job which then may affect the way AJ Preller performs his job which is not optimal for the organization because obviously that you want AJ Preller only acting on on what he believes is the best you know go forward thing for uh, the Padres. So I don't necessarily believe that having an owner who speaks is is a good thing, right? I think there's there's definitely degrees of ownership if you look across sports. Like what who are your favorite owners? Who are the best owners in sports? Some of them speak, some of them don't speak, right? Some of the ones who speak like Jerry Jones uh, never seems to win, right? And some of the ones who are behind the scenes and not really talking at all uh, tend to win a lot. So I don't think there's any directionality in terms of if you speak, you're better or not. Um, I can appreciate the transparency, but at the same time, it's very limited transparency, right? And and also sometimes being transparent means saying things which are now on the record and can be proven false or, or true over time, and a lot of times these have been proven false. So there's, there's definitely a dual-edged sword here with the transparency, and I don't think necessarily... That's that's a positive quality, anyways. Not the transparency, just the publicly speaking owner. I don't think that's necessarily a positive quality. Well, of course, also there was an element of, hey, we're going to explain this uh, to people, and they're going to take what they want out of it. And I'm sure that they hoped that, as, as was the case, maybe you couldn't tell by Twitter, but I am happen to aware of a world well outside of Twitter, and I hear from many of those people. Um, you know, there were people that said, oh, okay, I got it, makes sense. Um, I, I don't know. Some of those people also thought it was really stupid, but makes, okay, I get what the Padres are doing now. Um, other people thought, okay, cool. Well, I, I'm bought in, whatever. Um, so I think there was a level of transparency. I get that people think that's not the case, that everything has to be about them trying to manipulate. Um, I, I have no idea if anybody else asked for this. Um, yeah, I have a good relationship with Ron Fowler. Um, that's a part of my job. Uh, I also hear from Ron Fowler and others in the organization, uh, you know, when I do something they think is really stupid. Ron Fowler said some things to me that, um, you know, <laughs> uh, that I, I that were not complimentary. Let's say that. So it's not like, you know, I don't work for Ron. Um, it's like, uh, you know, my lifestyle would probably be a lot better if I worked for Ron. Okay, so a couple points here. I like the last part where he's basically asking for a new boss. I'll let that piece stand on its own. So, yeah, of course there are people outside Twitter. Uh, but, you know, what? we've gone through, or at least I went through a while back, all of the Facebook comments on the Padres page, right, and broke down the opinions therein because the, the thought for a long time on the uniforms was that 
that's just a small vocal minority of people on Twitter that doesn't represent you know a larger group of people or whatever and obviously Facebook and Twitter there's going to be some overlap between the crowds but there's still different sources of info and largely the opinions there match the opinions on Twitter so I, I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that oh it's just Twitter we can ignore that opinion unless you have data that supports that there are a lot of other people with different opinions and sure, some people are going to interpret this one way. Some are going to interpret it the worst way always. That There's always going to be those people on either side of the spectrum. The question is, how are the people in the middle affected? And from my personal opinion, there are a lot of people on Twitter who have been very fair with ownership, who I have disagreed with on a number of occasions, who on this subject are very much, I don't want to say on my side because it's not me versus anyone, but are in agreement with me on the way that we interpret this. So I don't think... I think this has largely been interpreted negatively by the community. I don't know season ticket hold I don't know too many season ticket holders personally, so I can't really pull enough people to give you sizable data and, and all that stuff, but I would just caution that saying something like, Oh, that's only people on Twitter, true, but but how many people do you have verified proof believe differently, right? And if you don't have that data, then what we can go on are the public opinions out there, which are Twitter, Facebook you know, San Diego Union Tribune forums and the, re- uh, the replies to all these articles and so on. And and from my cursory look at all that, there aren't very many people who are interpreting this and, and, and quote, getting this in terms of, oh, I'm okay now with, with the way things are going. Um, I, I like how he throws in the manipulate part again. Like there are some people who just want to interpret this like the potters are being manipulative. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, that's, again, not what we're looking for, right? We want the potters to be good. But we're still going to rationally ask, you know, what we're we're, we're still going to assess everything and not necessarily throw out the possibility that something is being manipulative. If it has a lot of the hallmarks of manipulation, such as you know taking someone who openly says he has a good relationship with Fowler to bring this news to light, you know, I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't think it's people with a you know vindictive you know vendetta who are out there just to do gotcha shit on the Padres. Like, I I don't think anyone wants to do that. Again, I think we just want good baseball. And so uh, this is a, a line of reasoning that I think needs to die. Um, the last part here I, I wrote down was that AC talked about how he has a good relationship with Fowler, and that's part of his job. It's absolutely not a part of his job. His job is to cover the Padres as a beat writer. Uh, good relationship, bad relationship, and different relationship. His point, you know, his job is to just cover the beat. It doesn't mean he has to be friends with anyone. I think the fact that he believes that to be the case says something about his journalistic qualities. But, um, yeah, anyways, uh, getting away from not shooting the messenger there, but uh, sometimes some of these things have to be stated. So uh, let's continue on. Kevin Acey joining us on the Mighty 1090. So, so, you know, if the message was to reach the fans, then what was the message? You know, what was it? This is why we're not spending? Because... I don't believe that they can't spend, Kevin. I believe that they're choosing not to spend. And they're explaining, you know, in a variety of different ways Mm -hmm. why they're not spending on Machado, Harper, or or even players of lesser significance. Uh But, but, I mean, debt reduction? I I mean, you know, I don't know how that lands with fans when you're talking about debt reduction and omni-club improvements and things of that nature. (laughs) I, I think also there was uh, David Carter, who you know we are familiar with, uh, as he pointed out, and I or as I asked him uh, questions so that he would point out, 
fans don't care about debt reduction. No. Um, or or a large you know segment of fans, I guess, all fans. I don't, I don't know. They're but they're trying to get them to understand this is a part of the picture of why we're where we're at, and and here's what we did with some of our money, um, good, bad, or whatever. This is what we thought was best to get us in a position. And I guess that's that's fair. It's 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 totally. Uh, I, I do appreciate understanding a little bit more about their debt, but at the same time, that can't be used in a, as an excuse, right? It's being used as a crutch for why they're currently not spending or or haven't, I guess, spent up to what we believe they should. But when they outline that that debt, you know, total reduction is roughly nine million per year, as opposed to you know what it used to be. That's not very much money, and it doesn't resolve the gap from where they currently are versus where we think they should be, right? It's not like we're, we want them, and, and AC will talk about this more, and so I'll, I'll rebut this more directly, but it's not like we're asking them to have a payroll of $98 million instead of $90 million. We're asking it for be you know, to go up to 135 or whatever it's supposed to be such that the revenue they're bringing in is roughly half spent on, on the product, you know, on the field product, and you know, we're very far away from that. So I think, you know, if they're trying to, you know, again, it's it's eight and a half, what, nine million dollars or 12 million. You know, it's such a small amount that it, it's, you know, it's what they paid Phil Hughes last year. It's what they're going to pay Garrett Richards this year to do nothing. You know, that line, that logic, if that's what they thought was going to do the trick, like we're all sitting here clamoring as to why we haven't signed another utility infielder like Ian Kinsler to an eight million dollar deal, like, like no one's complaining about that, right? We have much larger, a much larger gap of complaints, and reasonably so. So, you know, yeah, we we get it, and I appreciate that they're bringing this to light. But at the same time, like a they they, you know, they purchased the team knowing this, so complaining about it doesn't do too much. And two, it doesn't explain very much of the difference anyway. So it's like, even if we bought it at face value, we're like, okay, yeah, great, um, we totally get it. There's still a gap there of you know thirty million or whatever that they're not spending. That is unexplained. Um, again, that was to me something that hadn't been talked about. It was it was a big part of it, so that was the lead to my story. The story also talked about the failure of 2015 and the hurt that that continues to have on the on the on them. The you know 80 million plus, uh, not counting the draft that they spent in 2016, actually spent that money in 17. Um, these other things that and and the fact that they have said they will spend when the time is right. I mean, you have to take it all together. It, um, so it wasn't just about the debt reduction, though. Yes, that was them trying to explain. Here's what we've done to be responsible. If if if, and this is something that I didn't put in a quote from David Carter that basically is fans of the Padres um, and like teams have to understand they will never be able to. It, it just there, there's no one that thinks this team could ever spend, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is what everybody's asking, but they can't spend $190 million dollars uh, a year. They, right. they just can't. Dude, no fucking shit. Like, no one's asking for them to spend $200 million. I don't know where anyone's gotten the idea that that's what they're asking. Though I will state that the Padres have never spent $200 million and have it fail, right? That's still an experiment they haven't done. Now, we might all agree that there's a very high probability of that failing, but still, that's st- even if someone asking for that is more reasonable who's than someone who's okay with what it currently is. Now, again, no one's asking for 190 to $200 million. I don't know where he gets that figure. But it's sort of a straw man argument, right? It's 
it's one of those, hey, you need to spend more money. It's like, oh, what are we just supposed to add? A hundred and ten million dollars? Like, no. Like, let's talk about more than the eight million you've explained through debt reduction that we still don't necessarily buy because you bought the team knowing that. Let's start with, you know, 20 million. And then, and then once you've explained 20 million, how about the next gap of 15 million? And how about, let's, let's keep explaining why you're super far away from not just median in baseball or, or, or the average in baseball, but, that top third, right? Because they're nowhere close to it. So again, this no one—they're not going to spend 190 million or 200 million. No fucking shit. They're also not going to sprout wings and fly. You know, no one's, no one's honestly expecting that. And um, but regardless of if anyone's expecting that, they also haven't tried that and failed doing it. So it's still a better strategy than not spending at all. Right. Nobody, so, nobody expects that. But, but, but on a sliding so, scale, though, Kevin, I mean, and I'm not asking for an, a dollar amount mm-hmm. here, but where do the Padres see themselves fitting in when it comes to payroll? I mean, because I get a lot of people who, who make excuses for the club and go, well, it's a small market club. What do you expect? Yeah. And I don't really yeah. believe that. I, I mean, I think it's I don't think it's a big market, but but, I you know, be- on a scale of one to 30, where should they be in spending? Because I'm guessing that they've also been well below where they should be. In terms of revenue, I bet you they. I bet you they move up five or six spots. I would not be surprised if they move up ten spots. So I, I'm I'm curious if uh, if AC would accept a wager on this, like just a friendly, you know, burrito bet or something. But let's let's break down what five spots or ten spots would actually mean, right? So as of today, the Padres payroll is about ninety million. That includes dead money and so on. Or sorry, it's in the eighty millions, not ninety million yet. That would rank something like 28th going into next season. So jumping up five spots would mean 23rd, which as of last year would have been the Philadelphia Phillies at about 110 million. So you're talking about a gap there of 20 million for those five slots, right? So that's that's less than half of that debt reduction. So again, that debt reduction doesn't explain very much of this gap. Uh, so then the next thing, if they went up 10 spots, that would put them at 18th or 17th. You're talking about 135 million, like the Detroit Tigers, right? Which, which is totally what I believe they can get to, right? The league average payroll is give or take 140 million, and I think they can get close to that. So if you look at you know what it'll be next year, it might increase, or you know two years from now, the average payroll might be 150. They should be at like 135, something like that. That's where I'm saying they should be, and he's saying he wouldn't be surprised if they got there. I, I think that just means he hasn't really followed the Padres, right? This is an ownership group who took control in 2012, going into 2013, made a handful of promises about locking up specific players. And you might have a valid opinion that locking up Chase Headley would have been a bad choice, but they did say they would do it, and they did not do it, about increasing payroll on an orderly basis, which they have not done. There have had you know spurts here and there of increased spend up to 21st in baseball, but never very high. And... You know, there's just a, a multitude of reasons to believe that that's not going to be the case. You know, I guess he won't be surprised, but I think most people will be surprised. I'm also, again, just curious if he'd take a friendly wager on any of this. Uh, you know, in, in, in a given year or couple year period, um, if that player that they feel at that time. But I would say they move up four, five, six, seven spots, be in your, you know, what would you break it down? You got 30 teams, mm-hmm. you in the third, be in the you know, second, third, right there in that second and third, third kind of straddling there. But that's not and, where they've been, and, right? No, absolutely not. But, and again, look, they haven't done anything. So theirs are just words. They really are. Theirs is just words. So you know what everybody who's like, you know, um, like doesn't believe them has on their side history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the Padres have is no, really guys, what we're doing. listen to us. We promise in the future. So like, I get that, but 
you know, I, I don't have my notes with me, but the Houston Astros, um, who I won the World Series two years ago, and I thought were, you know, pretty dang good team last year, um, over the last five years, and even last year's payroll, um, but they, though they did what the Padres say they will do uh, and get, you know, some veterans, but the, the Astros payroll over the last five plus years, lower than the Padres average. What, wait, what? That, no, that is absolutely untrue. Uh, let's go through the Astros payrolls the last five years. So last year, the average, the Astros payroll was $163 million. Uh, so very much not right. So let's just add up the the Astros payrolls the last five years, 163 million. 2017, we're looking at 138 million, 139 million. So 168, 139. You're looking at what 210 or 310 million, somewhere around there in the last two years. Let's just add a third year. Third year, going back three years, 103 million. Uh, by the way, the, so far through these three years, they've been considerably higher than the Padres in each year. Uh, you have a hard time convincing me that in 2015 and 2014 combined, that that'll overcome the average. We, we can pull up those those totals, and I'm doing that right now. It looks like the Padres outspent the Astros in 2015 by 26 million, which is less than the gap in 2016. And then in 2014, the gap was. Where is the gap here? The gap here was 34 million. So, I mean, very much not the case that that the Astros have spent less on average over the past five years than the Padres, uh, because the gap here is you know about 65 to 70 million in the two years of the past five. The Padres spent more than the Astros, which is true. They, there have been two years in the past five they've spent more, but last year alone, the Astros more than made up that, that gap by having a 163 million dollar payroll while the Padres sat. You know, right around 100, including that about 40 million in dead money that they've paid out to contracts they've shipped out or otherwise cut, right? Or the Chase Headley slash Phil Hughes money. So if, when you look at it, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess the point I'm making here is that that statistic is false. The, the Astros have not paid less money, and again, the Astros last year were at 163 million. That's on the heels of going to the World Series and winning the World Series, obviously, and that's a boost in revenue, but. But even so, like that's that's considerably higher than anyone has ever projected the Padres to get to. So um, I don't know why they're being used as evidence here. They also just don't have the same plan. The Astros purposefully tanked to get high draft picks and ended up with Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman as two of the main chips out of that, which are you know rock solid pieces for them, foundational pieces. Uh, you know, you, you know, great players who potentially could end up on Hall of Fame trajectories. And the Padres have zero of those players. They might end up having one in Tatis or Mackenzie Gore, but you know that's just a different strategy. So, yeah, this is uh, just unequivocally false. The Astros did not spend less money in the past five years than the Padres. They have spent more money. Or right there at it. I forget. I'm, again, I don't have my notes in front of me. Um, Brewers, same thing. Um, so it's not like, you know, and, and and by the way, the Padres are only as high as they um, are because of the you know bonehead move that they made in fifteen. By the way, I'm saying bonehead when mm-hmm. I was very much in favor of it at the time. 
No, actually, um, I think this is an important point, Kevin, and, and I'm just going to jump in here for a second because I, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to sound like I don't appreciate what you're saying about the Astros, but you know, again, being, you know, I, I think that they have credibility tests that they still need to pass with this fan base, this ownership group does, because yeah. it, it, it hasn't, you know, they spent for one off season. But I do want to bring oh. up what you brought up about 2015 because there was a line in there that they added about 40 million in payroll and they only saw about 15 million dollars in, in incremental or increased revenue. You bring up the fact that there's about 30 million dollars in dead money. Uh, attached to players who no longer are with the organization, obviously. Um, what is uh, ownership saying about A.J. Preller here? I mean, if this were not a 66-win team, if this were a 76-win team, if this were an 81-win team, I know if, hypotheticals, but but would they would they be able to dig up the money to spend if they were coming off a season other than $66 million? And, I mean, can I not draw the conclusion based on your piece and based on some of the things that you wrote here that the general manager has certainly contributed to digging a little bit of this hole? Yes, you absolutely can. Um, I believe that they believe in A.J. Preller's plan. I, I believe that. But they don't trust that... him to spend any more money this year. Well, if, if <laughs> that, that's a pretty... What does that mean, though? Like, like if if he came to them and said, but see, it's AJ Preller who's calling it 2019, um, most likely more of a development year. I mean, this is a continuation of the development program. So if if what you're saying is that AJ wants to sign Manny Machado or 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 thinks that that signing Manny Machado, is, you know, is the prudent thing to do right now, then then that's something that you know I don't know about. I know that. There are scenarios in which AJ Preller would sign Manny Machado, um, but like you just, this is all just—it's it, not that black and white. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. But, but, but what baseball yeah, operations department, led by a general manager, wouldn't want to add exactly. payroll? What general manager wouldn't want to add in free agency? <laughs> wouldn't want to add via trade? In One other words, is, have they put handcuffs well, on their general manager and their baseball operations department? Depends on what your definition of handcuffs is, but I absolutely do not think that AJ Preller. Um, believes he can turn this thing into a unless he's lying to me and other people that are familiar with what he's saying are lying to me um, and to others that AJ Preller believes that he could turn this into a winner with X number of dollars. I don't think, and, and this is a point that I think I, I want to keep emphasizing. I don't think anyone's saying you add Bryce Harper or Manny Machado in order to win in 2019. You know, I don't think that's necessarily uh, a, a reason to do it. A, a reason to do it is that especially with Bryce Harper and, you know, most of this is true also for Manny Machado. You're talking about a generational type talent, you know, pick 1.1 in the draft. who's put up 30 wins above replacement before his 26th birthday, which happened in October, who would rank third all time on the Padres win above replacement list with just that, let alone the rest of his career, which is in front of him. You know, th- those are the type of foundational players that, you know, it's not you add them not necessarily just to win in that first year, but because you have confidence that you're adding a, a foundational piece that's going to help you win for a very long period of time, and also a very marketable piece, right? There's we talk about the revenue these players brought in in 2015 versus what they were worth, and I just feel like Bryce Harper is in a in an entirely different stratosphere of marketability, and I'm I'm saying that coming from the East Coast, being very close to where Bryce Harper was. Uh, with some experience on this. So, you know, to now say uh, erroneously, in my opinion, that it's one of those things where uh, there's no amount that would make them win this year. That's not necessarily what signing players 
is about, right? Isn't it a long-term view? Did, did, did AJ Preller sign Hosmer last year thinking that's what, what was going to put them over the hill that year? You know, did they sign then? And if that's the case, then why would they have signed Ian Kinsler and, and Garrett Richards this year? Obviously those players aren't getting us over the hill this year or even next year. So, you know, th- there's just a, a logical inconsistency here with, with the, the, you know, everything basically being said, it's, it's very frustrating. Now, with X number of dollars that I'm not prepared to say out loud. I mean, I don't know, 70 million? I, I don't know. But people that are saying that, like, and I'm, not, I'm just throwing things out there. So for 50, I guess you could get Manny Machado, okay? Mm-hmm. And then what about your pitching staff mm-hmm. this year? Okay. So are you going to add Dallas Keuchel at 15 to 20? Okay. Is Dallas Keuchel? Dallas Keuchel, heck of a year. I'm, doing a, I'm working on a piece right now. I was just actually looking at Dallas Keuchel. Dude's really good. Okay. You know, but but let me jump you in know. here again though, Kevin, because because I think we get the gist of what you're saying. And and mm-hmm. I can agree with that. Like what what you know, what free agent's gonna go out there and really dramatically improve a sixty six win club, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, you could say, Well, does the general manager want to do it? And ultimately I don't think you or I really know the answer to that. <laughs> but but based on what it is that you just responded with, and again, I'm not mm-hmm. attacking you here, you you know, it's just a yeah. conversation here. But how then do we explain Eric Cosmer? Okay. It's such a valid question, and I've been wrestling with it all. I mean, but I think we're our, our Emma right to stand that we are basing some of that on the year he had last year. Like, well, what was so great about him? Because I can tell you this: that they said right from the start that it is also no, what no, no, he no, brings. no, no. It's based on the philosophy of signing him. Right. What you're right. saying is somebody isn't going to come in here and dramatically improve the club. Yet right. last year the team went out and spent 150 million dollars on a player who you know was mm-hmm. was debatable. Now, for the record, I was on board with the signing of Hosmer. I just don't want to be okay. two faced right. in, in all of this. But but if their philosophy is well, there's nobody out there that's really going to contribute. Then like, well, when did that change? Because just a year ago they were out there signing Eric Hosmer, and I don't think they thought that Eric Hosmer was all of a sudden going to turn around their fortunes to the point where they'd be competitive or a winning club. No, and and heck. I guess maybe they should have been more forthright in that. Uh, though I do remember Ron Fowler rolling his eyes at me, and 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 you know when I asked some sort of question about like, well, you know, kind of leading like if Hosmer it, it makes this big improvement and you guys are somewhat in contention by the All Star break, and I remember him just rolling his eyes at me and saying, you know, I forget, I, I actually used the quote, uh, just like you know, eighteen is what it is or something like that. They didn't really think Eric Hosmer was going to push them over the edge either, so it's a totally valid question. Like I said, I've been wrestling with it, not apples to apples. And I don't believe that anyone thinks that Manny Machado, and again, I'm, I'm answering the question. I'm not trying to overplay like the whole clubhouse thing. I'm not. But, but they said from the start that not only did they think Eric Hosmer was a heck of a lot better than the 2018 Eric Hosmer, um, and he may still well be, but what he was bringing in terms of being that bridge between now and then, then being what they believe is their championship window, was a huge thing of what they were paying for. Um, so that's a part of it. I think we're also talking about the difference between 20 and 28 million a year. Um, and so it, it's all, again, this is not apples to apples. Well, you signed this guy. Why didn't you, why don't you sign this guy? Um, that, that's all a part of it. Heck. I also don't know if you go back if they do it again. I don't know. That's not me based on – that's just Kevin Ac talking. I, 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 I think they do. Right, um, and I again, and I'm not getting wrapped up into the specifics of what his batting mm-hmm. average was, Kevin. I'm just getting wrapped up right. into, the, into the philosophy of signing that yeah. player when yeah. less than a year's time later you're saying that you can't spend because a player doesn't make that big of a difference. So- yeah, and this is the critical point that, uh, that Darren here is making very well that the philosophy that's being espoused in the article, that they no longer want to add players unless it's going to make a pivotal difference in the present season, 
is one that is not consistent over time with their with their principles. It's not even consistent this offseason because we can point at Ian Kinsler, we can point at Garrett Richards, and we can point at you know other signings they may make and, and, and point at them and say, well, none of these were going to put us over the hump either. So that philosophy that's being used as an excuse for why they may not be pursuing Bryce Harper and Manny Machado is one which does not stack up with the evidence of history that we have for them. So, so yeah, I just want to drive home this this point Darren is making is very important. The philosophy of not signing players unless it makes a pivotal difference, which I actually, you know, part of that I agree with, although I think you have to add over a period of time. But I agree with some of these small pieces who will never make a difference. Your Ian Kinsler's, they are players you should not be signing. So I, I get that portion of it, but the philosophy itself does not actually match the actions. So something must have changed. I mean, in other words, this is why I'm asking you. Is, mm-hmm. is you know, are, is the front office, is A.J. Preller, are they having their wrists slapped here? Are, are they having the faucet, as it's been explained to me, turned off financially because of the mistakes that they've made in the past? I don't, I think that's putting it a little strongly. Um, I think if, if there is anything, and I'm not saying there is, it's that, hey, you know, we, we have spent a fair amount of money on some things. Why don't we wait and see how some of these work out? I mean, there's more than, than Hosmer. There's more than Myers. There's more than, I mean, gosh, Chase Headley. There's more than Bill Hughes. I mean, we gotta, there's, a, there's a lot of things that I think that probably um, ownership wants to, to see. And this is Kevin Acey talking here. Uh, but, you know, put it, Kevin Acey putting together the, the pieces that, that, that you gather over the last year. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that this uh, the, uh, that the ownership wants to see. But I also think there's a lot of things A.J. Preller wants to see. Okay, like what? Well, what's going to happen with a lot of these guys? As in the, the top prospects and then the young guys who are on the team. Okay, so then turn it over Any and just start bringing up Tati sooner rather than later and just truly yeah. start a youth movement at the big league level. I think that what we have to, to think is, I mean, I sort of see like, maybe we talked about this. You know, I've talked with people in the organization about it. 18 and 19, see, things are fluid. Did right. they think it was going to be this way? Not really. But 19 has sort of become an extension of 18, like, because Franco Reyes and Hunter Renfro and Austin Hedges, what they did at the end of last year, and then they got Mejia, and so, hey, we got to see what these guys can do, and our young bullpen guys, and then we're going to bring up, uh, you know, Paddock and, and Allen, and we got to see that, and how the prospect, okay, trade deadline, trade deadline, what, what, what? What happens at the trade deadline with the Padres in terms of um, what can they get for certain guys, or are they better than we think? Um, and look, I don't necessarily disagree with the opinion that the Padres need to spend 2019 evaluating a lot of these young players. I would much rather have them spend time figuring out which of the five outfielders, for example, are good go-forward guys than to bring in another veteran. And uh, I guess there's six outfielders because of why Will Myers, but rather have them do that than bring in a veteran to soak up at bats. And that, by the way, is why it was so maddening last season to watch Jose Perella play so much because uh, he played a lot of left field and there were players in the organization, Hunter Renfro, Fran Reyes, Franchi Cordero, Travis Jankowski, Manny Margot, etc., that you wanted to get as much playing time as possible so you can make these assessments as quickly as possible. And unfortunately, the manager, by playing suboptimal players, players who, you know, anyone who would think logically, or at least by May, once you had another month of Perella data, should have seen that you're wasting these opportunities. So now they're saying, 2019, we need to get a look at these guys, when, you know, the fact of the matter is, they may have had an extended 
additional looks at these players had they not played players that made no sense to play last season. And that and that goes for the rotation too. You know, you look at Clayton Richard, right? I don't know what they could have possibly expected to get out of Clayton Richard. There was no scenario at any point in time that would have enabled the Padres to get any value out of Clayton Richard at all. Like there's no way that he sold jerseys, you know, that he drove jersey sales or fan attendance that you know that exceeded his incremental uh you know pay to the team like that there's no way you're going to convince me that that was the case and he was not acquiring anything so all he was really doing was pitching innings that you could have otherwise spent on players to get a gauge of how good they were the walker lockets of the world and these other guys who were you know in triple a they could have called up logan allen last year and gotten 40 50 innings out of him just to get a look and to have a little bit more of insight instead of having to spend another major league season assessing these players, right? Because towards the middle of this season, what's going to happen? They're going to have even more guys coming up through the system who they're going to want to get looks. And unfortunately, they've created, I don't want to call it a logjam, but they've they've taken away opportunities to look at these players that they had last year by playing suboptimal guys like Clayton Richard and even Freddie Galvis. And you're, you know, just, you can just go down the list of players who they could have gotten to look at last year instead of these others. For example, they could have just played, you know, any any old shortstop at shortstop last year, kept Eniel De Los Santos, and had him in the major league roster instead of Clayton Richard, and gotten an actual look at the prospect before having to trade him. These are the sort of things, and these are why I complained during the season because, big picture, you're not getting a read, you're not getting enough info on these players at the major league level, and now you're hearing the evidence right here that AJ Preller himself needs more evaluation time on these players because he presumably he didn't get quite get enough last year or. You know, if he had another 100 at-bats on Fran Mill Reyes, maybe we'd have a better idea. Maybe Fran, Franchi Cordero on his next 100 bats strikes, strikes out 60 times. It's totally possible. And that would give us more insight into the likelihood of him being a major league player or not. But we don't have that because we got a couple hundred at-bats of Jose Perella in left field, which is fucking ridiculous. <sighs> Look, the other thing we got to remember, because I'm trying to, you know, my head's racing here and I'm thinking about the 2019 season. I know the rest of the NL West has come back, but it's a long way to go to even come close to the Dodgers. Long ways to go. Um, nobody would, nobody, but, but back to the, just the question about debt reduction, because in, in total, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, on average, with this debt reduction and the reduced rate, they're saving, what, on average, about $9 bucks a year? I think that basically, yes, yes. They also have a lower minimum principal rate, meaning that before they were paying more debt than principal. And so now also that if they wanted to, we'll say, oh, $20 million tomorrow, boom, boom. That Machado price was right. Oh, my gosh, we rethink we can do this, this. We can also trade, you know, do a three-team trade with Kluber. We can grab this guy. Okay, cool. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we need $20 million bucks. Well, they can pay less of their debt this year, which was not an option last year. Um, so that, that plays into it. Um, every year you're taking it down a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I don't know where you're going with that, but I think that just basically um, if everything's staying the same, yeah, sure, save $9 million a year. And so let's talk about the debt for a second um, because I don't know if this was covered very well yesterday in the podcast I gave you, the line-by-line breakdown of Kevin Acey's article, uh, nor do I think Kevin Acey does a very good job explaining this because he refers to them – uh, paying more on the debt than the actual principal. What he means is that, you know, they were loaned a certain amount of money, and over time you have to pay back that original amount you owe, which is called the principal, in addition to interest. So I th- believe AC is actually meant to say that the Padres are paying more in interest than they were on paying down the principal, which is not 
honestly is not that uncommon in the world of borrowing money. What the Padres likely did, and this information we don't necessarily have in the article, but I think this is my stab at it, and the fact that it's been explained so poorly begets that it needs to be explained better. I believe what happened is the Padres found another creditor who was willing to give them a lower interest rate, and so basically they switched from paying a loan with a principal of X dollars and an interest rate of Y to paying a loan with an interest rate of X dollars but an interest rate that was slightly less than Y. And the make whole penalty that he refers to in his article yesterday is often what you have to do in order to get out of a loan, right? So um, in order to uh, – and it, you know, if you purchase a home, you, you learn a little bit more about this. But basically in order to not screw over the original creditors, sometimes they'll put it – put screw over in quotes here. They'll put in lines in your agreement where if you opt out of the, um, the original loan or otherwise refinance the loan, there's a penalty that you have to pay in order to, quote, make it whole. And that's what that's called. Uh, so I guess what AC is referring to here ultimately is that the Padres had a loan with a certain interest rate. The Padres are paying more absolute dollars towards that interest than they were paying off the principal, meaning that was just sitting around there. Like with the, If the principal is not reducing and you have a certain interest rate, which is fixed, then you're essentially almost in perpetuity just paying interest rate as opposed to paying down the principal. So you have this debt in perpetuity. So it does make sense why you would want to get out from that. You know, just like if you had a credit card debt, you certainly want to pay it off as quickly as you, as you can, so that you, you know, you pay less over time because you're not paying interest over a longer period of time. But I just feel like the way that Kevin Nacy has explained this is pretty shitty because I don't think he knows very much about this topic. Um, not saying I'm an expert, but I think I understand it a little bit better. Um, so let's continue. I mean, that's, with better terms, that's you know, again, that, that's sort of that's a lot less than the dead money for players. Right, I mean that's Phil Hughes. That's you know that's Chase Headley, <laughs> or the that's guy less than Hector Chase Oliveira. <laughs> yeah, it's the Hector yeah. Oliveira, most who we Next never even year. saw. You know, I mean that's like approaching Jed Jerko territory. So like I don't really get it. Like I don't really understand. I mean, did they not know You're that kidding. that did they not know what they were getting when they bought this club? Absolutely. And then what did they do? Maybe we could say that the biggest mistake they made was 2015 if we're going to go down that route because i that's a question i asked and and i think that you know collectively the answer was well a bad business you, you take time to turn around um you know you, you have to by the way the payout penalty initially was 68 million for the, the full the make whole penalty that ended up being 28 million they paid in 2017 so you got to wait for that to come down a little bit wait okay so if i'm interpreting this correctly the padres still have a very large portion of that make whole pen, penalty to pay back Right, so it sounds like they haven't gotten out from that debt. So they, yeah, that's not that's not very good. That's not very good news. Um, and there's a bunch of factors, but heck, I, I would say maybe their biggest mistake, their biggest screw up of all, was 2015. Sure. Now none of us thought it at the time, or many of us did not. So that that put them in a big hole too. Is there any question in your mind after what you've seen and what you've written and maybe what you've heard is reaction to the piece? Is there any any question in your mind about whether or not these owners are probably funded to be major league owners? No doubt in my mind whatsoever. I, again, I think we alluded earlier, I, you know, who knows if if they were had been a little bit better, a little more promising or had they known what 
certain players were going to do, which I don't I take care of, yeah, it wasn't going to make the difference. But I'm saying, had they thought they were better, as in A.J. Preller and his staff, would the owners have spent for Arietta? Yes, yes, they would have. Um, uh, you know, maybe they spent for Hellickson, too. And, I mean, uh, I believe that they, that they would do that. They did it in 2015. Their answer to all of that is, um, is if, it, if it's not the type of move or moves that will put them over the top, then it would be going against the process. And that's what they did in 15 was go against the process. And so that's, I mean, I really think that the more I learn, the more I'm convinced you can't just take it one thing. And I know that everybody, you know, one, one thing out of a story, um, but you can't take it as one thing. It's, it's collective. And I, and I will say again, there should be a healthy level of cynicism among mm-hmm. fans history, but I will tell you, and I don't think I said, but I mean, I've talked to Seidler, Peter Seidler since the story uh, came out, and, and he, I forget the exact words he used, but it was really strong. I give you my absolute word that we will spend, um, you know, and not too long from now to, you know, get what uh, AJ believes is a championship caliber team. Um, I mean, those are just words. He said it, and 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 I and it wasn't off the record. I mean, he said it. So like, I guess I don't know what else we can do now except he said it. Um, so when is that? Is that this off season? It very well could be. It, it absolutely could be this off season that they decide that there's another player that you know is worth a certain amount of money. Um, and they up the the uh, the, the payroll. Um, I think it's probably more likely in the, uh, at the trade deadline they acquire some people in this next off season um, that they uh, you know uh, might actually spend. Um, and I realize there is not a what what is Scott Boris is worried about Harper, you know, and and I think you would include Machado mm-hmm. and their generational talents, you yep. know, these young guys coming at this time. But there's some really good players, and that's not just coming from the Padres. There's some, you know, there's going to be some good players available for teams to be able to make themselves uh, much better uh, for them to acquire next season. But why why not do both? You know what I mean? Like, why, why are we restricting ourselves to one one player necessarily going forward, right? Like, I think if you look at the gap between where we believe the payroll should be and where it currently is, there's more than enough room for multiple good players, especially noting that a lot of the money tied up to your Hector Oliveras, which are dead deadweight money, are gone after this year. And your first, you, you know, big wave of arbitrations that you're going to have to pay to your Fernando Tatis and Luis Urias won't come until 2023 when the only money you have on the books is $13 million to Eric Hosmer. Again, I, I, I worry that we're going to be putting ourselves in a situation where next offseason where ownership feels compelled to add from a more limited group of free agents because they didn't consider free agents this offseason. So I feel like... Again, they haven't actually learned the lesson of 2015, which is that you can't actually ramp up your payroll very quickly because you are forced into a situation where you have a limited free agent market to pick from and little leverage because everyone knows that you're now looking for specific things versus adding incrementally over time, which which, which in the context of Hosmer would have made sense. They signed a Hosmer two years ago, and then this year went after Harper or Machado. And then next year went after, I don't know, a mid-level arm or, you know, an Anthony Rendon who will be another high-played player. You know, that that's a more reasonable approach than burning your first good season of prospects and then figuring out, oh, we have these holes. How do we address them? And finding yourselves in a limited market. And that's that's the route that they're unfortunately going down. 
the season after that, and in perpetuity, um, you know, actually. Why would these owners expect anybody to show up at the ballpark this summer? <laughs> well, uh, for the for the product, I, I, I just don't think they would, except that, you know, they would uh, hope, and I think that a lot of us would say, okay, well, that's not terribly unreasonable, uh, that the hardcore fan would, would sometimes show up uh, for your for your young players, especially when Tatis comes up uh, and, and your young pitcher. There's one, that's about your on-field reason, right? Fran Mill and Hunter. Sure, absolutely. I'm not saying that's worth the money to do that but that's a valid reason and certainly not for the if you're going there and you're expecting wins uh and, and a contending team no and i don't think that they would argue with that they have and i could tell you and again now i'm not speaking to your um your hardcore fan but mm-hmm. somehow they've managed to uh i believe last year them and the angels the angels who have Shohei Otani and uh, Albert Pujols uh, having historic seasons um uh, or chasing history uh they were the only losing teams and the Angels were, I think, 80 and 82 to have an attendance increase and, or stay stable. Uh, they're doing something right for the other fans uh, to come to their ballpark. And I guess that's what's been in their control uh, the, the last few years. Um, it, you know, so there, there is a reason to go to the ballpark. Uh, for, a, for a sports writer who's writing for sports fans, yeah, <laughs> I, I learned last year by August uh, and, and September, and thank goodness for what Hunter and Fran Mill and Austin Hedges were doing. Um, uh, it's tough to mine for good baseball reasons to follow this team uh, late in the season. Well, I'm glad I don't have to come up with the reasons. Hey, last thing, Kevin, for me, I'm sure you have way more sources than I do inside of the organization, but but some of them, and You're this is not good, normal, man. some of them are, this is not normal for some some of the people to reach out and contact me as some of them did over the weekend and ask what I thought about your piece. And the sense that I got in, in interacting with them is they're pretty deflated. So this is actually the most important piece of info we get in this entire interview is that there are people within the news or within the Padres organization who they might've known this piece was coming out, but the actual content of it was deflating to them. I'm curious to know which, which people these were in the organization. I'm sure we'll, uh, never, you know, publicly necessarily find out exactly who it was. But my guess would be it would be members of baseball operations, right? And again, going back to the previous point I made that when you throw, you know, A.J. Preller under the bus publicly or whomever you're going to – however you want to characterize that, you, you change the way that they're going to act and, and what their incentives are. And I'm afraid that it, when you do something which is deflating to your own employees um, – you know, it's not going to be uh, good for the product long term. So, again, this is another example of where opening your mouth, as Ron Fowler has done, is seem, seemingly will work against him because it's it's done things and will have other effects um, different than just the intended one. And, again, I don't even know what the intended one was necessarily with, with this. But, yeah, just wanted to add that here. To read some of the stuff that you wrote, and I wonder if you've heard from anybody in baseball ops or maybe anybody on field staff, and and what reaction you're getting from inside, yeah. from people who won't put their name on the record from from your piece, because as one said to me, this isn't exactly the kind of thing you hear from an organization that's about to open up a championship window. No, you don't hear this. I will say this: you don't hear this from an organization ever. I mean, you just don't. And 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 I'm not look. I don't want to pin a medal on anybody's chest, but. 
there was a level of transparency there that just is, is rare and unique. So that's one thing. So you can't really compare it to anything. It doesn't sound like I've heard from as many people as you. Darren, one thing I will say is I, I, I think that the Padres' um, ownership, the people at the highest levels knew this was the deal. I don't know how much that trickled down and how much other people knew, and especially some of the people that maybe we have heard from, uh, and maybe they could do a better job. I don't know, because, you know, also then once you start telling people things, maybe they didn't want, I, honestly, I don't know, but I don't know that anyone can say, hey, this is not a type of thing. They're explaining that this is what they did in order to become a championship uh team and to be able to do that i mean the, the fact is it's a valid question to say gosh could they afford like like i mean you know those, those of us with rudimentary economic understanding well wait a minute this was such a problem why did they buy the team um first of all this is how peter seidler made his money um he's a pretty smart guy so is ron um we don't have to agree with them but it actually if you sit back and i did talk to some people in the business world and they're like this is this is what you do when you're going to try to make your product better in the future and you can't do it right now. I mean, this is prudent. Well, who do you want to be? You know, the Reds have a higher payroll than the Padres. The Reds suck, and their organization is completely dysfunctional. And I could name 10 other teams that spend more money than the Padres, and they got no shot. No one's talking about their minor league system. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to defend them. I'm trying to add perspective mm -hmm. and say – do we really know, or are we just pissed because John Moore's got a divorce and had some bad business dealings, and you know, or and 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 we've had forty-seven general managers in forty-nine years? I mean, like, well, what what's the story here? I don't really care for the excuse of pointing at other teams and saying, "Hey, aren't they worse off?" I mean, that's that's like you know the classic whataboutism that doesn't really uh, do anything in terms of furthering the conversation about the actual topic, you know. We're, we're, we're talking about the Padres here. We're not talking about the Reds. Obviously, if we were fans of the Reds, we'd have very different complaints, and maybe we would prefer to be fans of the Padres versus fans of the Reds. I, I, I don't know. I haven't studied them too in depth, but regardless of the faux pas that other teams make, that doesn't absolve the same mistakes that the Padres are making. It's really just you know a kind of a, la a lazy way of saying, hey, not, it can't be all that bad. There are worse teams than us. We're not the stupidest worst team in the in the league. Which I think is still an open question, anyways. Until I've I've looked at all the other teams, which I don't know if I'll ever do. But I also like the the line of reasoning here, where he he believes that Seidler and Fowler are smart. He basically uses the fact they've earned money in their life, as if no stupid person has ever earned money before, or as if there's someone who could be very good at, at doing one thing and very bad at doing something else, like very good at selling alcohol and and distributing alcohol, but being very bad at owning a major league sports franchise. You know, there are different skills involved here, right? There's there's also different types of intelligence in different areas uh, where you can be better at making decisions than others. And I think the the white blanket assumption here that maybe we all just don't know very well because these guys are smart and have made money is such a lazy argument that I will always disagree with. Either you have substance on the topic you're talking about or you don't. And if there was someone who had... Uh, a very long past of being predictive and making wise decisions on similar things on the similar topic that would hold water. But someone who's just made a decent amount of money, um, you know, or a very strong amount of money doing something different altogether does not necessarily mean that they're going to be very good at running other types of businesses. It's a very, it's a very large logical fallacy here that Kevin AC has made. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, again, uh, by Me the way, either. the Reds just traded for and extended Sonny Gray, <laughs> but that's an aside to th- this entire situation. So for whatever that is worth about the Cincinnati Reds. I would As imagine I s- Reds, Reds Twitter is both ecstatic and saying, well, now there's no chance Sonny Gray is going to be any good. He's playing for the Reds. <laughs> right, in that ballpark, you kidding me? He's going to get lit up. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I, I just, you know, I, I, I've sensed from people. Now, last thing. I also got the sense that that to anybody who questions whether or not this piece was designed to 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 create any sort of goodwill towards the organization, um, there's probably a reason why they why why word around the organization was that the piece was coming out. I don't, did you get the sense that they? I'm inclined to believe that they they tipped people off inside of their own organization that your piece was coming out on Saturday. Did you get that sense? Um, yeah, okay. I, I think that, so. That that they, lets they, me know that they were they were well, not expecting this to be well received. The reason that I would say that I wouldn't dispute that is just based on a couple calls I got. Like, sure, me too. Oh, okay, I didn't know that you knew. That's all. I, I and, and that wasn't that I was trying to hide it to anyone. I mean, it's kind of a kind of the kind of story that you don't really tell a lot of people you're working on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but again, if if there were people in the organization that knew that your piece was coming out, maybe then you know they they were trying to to just brace people for impact at whatever well, the, the response also, of the story is going to be. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you know that a story, any story, I don't care what it's about, if you know it has some information in there that has not been out before, you're gonna let some people in your organization know about it. All right, we gotta go. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Kevin Ace, Union Tribune. And uh, just the last point here, it sounds like there is a bit of turmoil maybe in that Padres front office. Um, certainly this article coming out was not something that everyone in the baseball organization would have agreed to release. Um, so again, that just hit point hits hits home on that first point where when you start to do things publicly to question some of the decision making inside the front office or otherwise change the narrative, you can uh, maybe unwittingly change the incentives and what everyone are work you know everyone is working towards, which may be a negative thing for your team. So again, I would not do it. But in any case, uh, that's the whole thing. Um, yeah, uh, still very. <laughs> Unfortunately, disappointed with the whole situation, but it is what it is. Uh, Until next time, yeah, later.